0: Morning, welcome to Cornerstone Church Liverpool. My name's Paul. If you don't know me already, I'm one of the leaders here. It is really good, really good to to see you. And today is a landmark day for me because this is the first time in 12 years of preaching that I've worn a jacket. There you go, I've worn a jacket today, so this is a landmark moment. Welcome Welcome to the show of my jacket wearing. So if you've got your Bibles, open up your Bibles at 1 Peter chapter 2 and we'll be working our way from verse four through to verse 10. As a church, what we do is we work our way through books of the Bible. And we do this because this is God's word and God speaks to his people and leads his people by his word. So we make our way through books of the Bible um, hearing what God has to say to us. Today is a familiar passage in many ways. It's a passage that we have circled back as a church uh, and where we have found a lot of our identity, our values in gospel Centre, marked by grace on mission. And today we're gonna look at it in the flow of the letters. If you have that open, I'm going to make our way uh, I'm through it. But just want to extend again that invitation. If you've not been to the other two sessions in that Engaging with God course, it doesn't mean you can't come tonight. Um, please feel free to come tonight. We're going to be in that back room there for about an hour, an hour and 20 minutes. I always say about an hour to an hour and 20 minutes. What I mean is an hour and 20 minutes to an hour and a half, okay? Just lay it out there. Um, but we'll be... what? what is prayer? What do you mean to pray? And then we're going to be doing it as well. So we're actually going to be praying tonight in ways, just in different ways, different um, ways that we can engage with God in prayer. So please come along. It'd be great to to see you. So one Peter, written by the apostle Peter, who's a close friend of Jesus. And he writes probably from Rome to a, a group of believers in Asia Minor. And he writes to give them assurance and hope as they walk through life. So let's read what he has to say. Verse four. As you come to him, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray together. Father, you are a gracious God. A gracious God to give us your son. A gracious God to give us of your spirit. A gracious God to speak to us in and through your words. So today, Father, as your children, as your temple, Father, help us to believe that you are here. Help us to believe that you are speaking. Help us to hear your wonderful truth, your beautiful truth of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So what we're going to see today is Peter's going to refer to what I call God's building project. Firstly, what we're going to look at is this has been planned from before the creation of the world. And we see that in verse 6 to 8. Let me just read it to remind ourselves of these verses. For this stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honour is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do You see, Peter's grounding them as a people in God's eternal plan. And he says in verse 6 that it stands in Scripture. And what's interesting, so, so Peter, who is speaking to people, believers, after the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's speaking to them, but he's actually using three verses from the Old Testament, three verses from before Jesus Christ's coming. And the first verse that he used is taken from Isaiah 28, verse 16. And Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, he's speaking to a weak, vulnerable people, and he's calling them to trust God. That's what Isaiah's doing through his book. He's saying, trust God. Don't trust military strength. Don't trust the cultural power of the day. Don't trust the cultural acceptance of the day, but trust God. He will save his people, but he will save his people his way. And he makes reference, Isaiah, to a, a cornerstone. See, a cornerstone for us to understand this because it's not really a phrase that we would use. A cornerstone is a foundation stone, it's the most important stone in a building project. The cornerstone is the, the starting point that the rest is actually built on. And God's cornerstone here, as Isaiah is telling us, is chosen and precious. God's plan to save his people is built on this cornerstone. That's what's being shown us here. And the next line, as you read it there in verse 6, tells us that this cornerstone is a person. It says, believe in him. So God's plan to save a people rests on a person. So the question then becomes, well, who is this person? And what Peter does, he moves on in verse 7 to quote another Old Testament reference. This time it's taken from Psalm 118, verse, verse 22. And what this psalm is, is describing, as you read it, it's describing the return of the king, of Israel's king to the temple, to give thanks to God after he has secured victory over God's enemies. And as you read the Old Testament, this king, in this picture of a king, it's really important. And in the Old Testament, as God spoke to his people, you see that God's promises, they are to his people, they are tied to his appointed king. And his appointed king was through the line of David, a Davidic king. And this Davidic king, this Messiah king, this savior king, actually is a figurehead and becomes a figurehead in God's promises to his people. And so it's this promised king who is the cornerstone by which God is going to carry out his plan. And there's a reason that that Peter is putting these different verses, these three different verses together from different Old Testament places. He's saying trust God. God is saving his people his way. He's saying this is being God's plan from eternity. And as the Bible unfolds, we see that this promised king, the true promised king, the one that all the, the kings were pointing to of the line of David is Jesus Christ. That's the end point. That's where it lands. Here's a stone on which God carries out his plan. He is the cornerstone. He is the foundation stone that the rest are built on. And there is a beauty in in following what Peter is saying. And there's an assurance and a comfort in following what Peter is saying. So God isn't just reacting in the sending of his son. You've got to go son. They've messed up again. That's not what's going on here. What's being shown us here. Is that there is a richness. A fullness of God's plan coming to fruition. In the Lord Jesus Christ. God's plan from eternity coming to fruition in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. But as we look closely in these verses, you'll see how this plan actually came about. And what becomes apparent is that this cornerstone, this promised king, was rejected. See, in Isaiah 28, that first, in verse 6, it's God's people that reject it. In Psalm 118, it's the, the nations that are around God's people that reject God's king and therefore God's rule. And it's played out now as we see it come to its fruition in the gospel. So Jesus Christ, the promised king, he comes and he's given over to the Roman authorities by the Israelite leaders. So Rome and Israel combined, Jew and Gentile combined, and they and they display the rejection of God, the, a, a rejection of his, of his rule, a rejection of his way by crucifying him, by publicly killing the promised king. And then Peter here, he moves on in this third reference in verse 8 to Isaiah 8. He says the people actually stumble over this cornerstone. For us to understand that stumble is not like an unintentional trip, a tumble, but a willful refusal to believe. It's actually a rebellion against God. And the word that the people are disobeying, because that's what he calls it, they disobey the word, is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter's saying that there are those who believe God's plan in and through the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, and that there are those who reject God's plan in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. God has planned this from eternity past. He is in control. He is over all things. He knew how he would save his people. He knew how he was gonna deal with the problem of human sin. And as this passage says clearly here, he also knows those who he has elected to salvation. He knows those who he has sovereignly chosen, who he has enabled to repent and turn to him. And let me just be clear, God's election here, that he has chosen a people, does not mean that people aren't responsible for their sin. That's not what's being said here. See, God's election, and God's word tells us clearly that all have sinned willfully against God, and all all those who sin against God, which is all of humanity, are responsible for our sin. And these are tough. This is a tough passage of scripture, and there are other tough passages of scripture that that we think or that we actually hold in tension. And we hold these two things in tension, but God's word doesn't. It holds them together. God is sovereign, God does ordain all things, God does sovereignly choose his elect. And people are responsible for their sin, people are responsible for their moral choices. No one can say that it's unfair to be judged. what they have done for their sin so the question becomes do we accept God and his way do we believe in the cornerstone or do we reject him Peter when he's speaking to um, the Jews in Acts 4 verse 10 to Job he says this there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved do you believe and trust in Jesus So, we've seen that God's building plan here is is planned from eternity. But what you also see through these verses is that it's powered by the future. See, there are other themes that are woven through this passage. In verse 6, we we read that those who believe in the cornerstone won't be put to shame. In verse 7, it says that those who believe will be honored. What is that? What does it mean not to be put to shame? What does it mean to be honored? Verse four and five I think help us in understanding this. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the living stone. The choice of words that Peter uses is really important here. Jesus, from from all accounts, was put to what seemed, in the world's eyes, he was put to shame. He was rejected by the world, he was rejected by his people, he was rejected by the authorities. But we know, don't we, that appearances can be deceiving. Because this passage is telling us in verse 4, that in God's sight, therefore, in reality, the Lord Jesus Christ was chosen and Precious. So the world displayed the rejection of Jesus by killing him, but God displayed the reality by raising him from the dead. That's what happened. So Jesus Christ is the the living stone. That's the choice of word, the living stone. God vindicated him in the resurrection. The world said no rejection and guilty, and God raised him up from the dead to say, it is finished. He is perfect. He is the king, the chosen one. He is alive. And then we also in him, this passage tells us, and because of him, and this is what a privilege and a wonderful truth we see here, we too are called living stones. That's who we are, we're living stones, born-again believers. Those who trust again trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are living stones. We are alive. God in His word promises, He's coming back. Jesus Christ is coming back, and when He does. When God returns, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, God's word says that we'll be raised with him if we trust in him. See, Jesus' resurrection in the past secures that future for us. We will not be put to shame at that final judgment. We will be honored. Why? Because of him and his work and what he has done. That's what verse six is saying. We will be honored because of Jesus Christ. But folks, the reality is that 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 future new creation reality, that future reality, it actually breaks back into the presence in us. So as regenerated, born-again believers, we have God's Holy Spirit within us. We are living stones. God is building something through us. Verse 5, we are being built up as, as a spiritual house. What is that? folks let me say that's temple language I was going to have to take this jacket off now Well, there you go that was a short show wasn't it it's roasting in here isn't it hey <laughs> getting all excited that's temple language and so there's two things to understand what a temple is and what priests are you know what? I've been watching the Lord of the Rings at home with, with my three girls my wife for the past couple of weeks and the Lord of the Rings has like a theme tune if you know it Um, I was trying to sing it then, it's totally got it's totally gone out of my head. But what happens is through all the three songs and through all the three films, the same theme tune appears. Whatever sounds, you, you get the feeling of it. Okay, and that whatever that appears, what it does, it triggers memories, it triggers pictures. And it triggers you. It, it takes you back to the first film and up to the second film, and it and it it brings things to your mind that this it weaves together to show this is one story. That there's a story going on, a narrative that is holding this whole thing together. Something's happening, and that theme tune actually takes us to those places and brings us together in and through that. And that's what's going on with some of the themes that Peter's using here. He's weaving this together. He's playing the theme tune of the Bible. So what is the temple? The temple through Scripture is is where heaven and earth join together. It's where God's presence is. The temple is where God and people meet. You see, right at the start of the Bible, right at the beginning, God is with his people in this temple garden. And everything's perfect. Humanity is in God's presence under God's rule. But we read the The people reject God's loving rule. They they rebel, they stumble, they sin. And God's people then are not allowed into God's presence because of sin. He is perfect, he is holy, so they can't be in his presence because of that sin. But God actually in distance himself from them promises to make a way for them to be with him again as his people. He promises to make a way. He promises to send someone who is gonna make it right. And then God sets his affections. He calls his people Israel and he meets with them. And where he meets with them first through the wilderness is a tabernacle. It becomes a temple. And the temple is just like this garden temple at the beginning. So many things in this temple remind us of that garden, of that temple, of God with his people. God's showing us something. It's just like a garden temple. But now God's people, they can't meet with God or be in his presence without sacrifice. Without the spilling of blood and the taking of a of of a life because of our sin, it's got to be dealt with. He's showing us I can't be with you, your sin has to be dealt with. The theme tune is playing again and again and again. And the people who work in this temple they're called priests. And together they fulfil all the different roles that are required within this space. They they care for the sacred space where God and people meet. They offer sacrifices to God so the people can be with them. They pronounce blessings to, to the people. They represent God to the people and they represent the people to God. But it goes wrong again and again and again and again and again and God's people fail. And what do we see? We see that they are thrown away from, thrown out of the land into exile and God removes his presence. And then there's silence. Silence. But then Jesus comes again, and that theme tune is playing louder and louder and louder. And not only is he the chosen cornerstone, but Jesus Christ is the temple of God. He is God in human flesh, truly God and truly man. He is where heaven and earth meet. He is that sacred space, but he's also, he's the great high priest. He represents God to the people, and he represents the people to God, and he goes into the presence of God on behalf of the people. Everything is pointing, everything is pointing to Jesus Christ. In God's word, we read that he died as the sacrifice, but then he is vindicated in the resurrection. And we read that he ascends. What does that mean, that he ascends? It means that he goes up from earth into heaven itself, into the place of God. So humanity, Jesus Christ rose physically. Humanity is in the place of God. So Jesus Christ is where heaven and earth meet. And then we read in Acts, what does he do? He sends his Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, into the hearts and lives of his people, of believers. So, what does that mean, folks? That now means that God dwells in us. That's what the Bible says. Each of us here, we're living stones. So as we sit here, if you are believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have God within you. Just let that sink in. You have God living within you. So what do the people all around you. I'm looking around with loads of faces. So many people I'd love here. You have God within you. We have our God within us. You are where heaven and earth meet. Think about that. In all your problems, in all your sufferings, maybe in your illness or your weakness, you are a temple of the living God. No matter what you've walked through, no matter what you've been through, you are a temple of the living God. God is in you and God is with you. So no one and nothing can take that reality away. No person can do it. No cruel word can do it. No rejection, no persecution, no relational difficulty, no employment difficulty, no marriage problem. No perceived failure can change that reality. Your life has eternal significance and always will because God dwells in you. John Peter, he goes on. He says we are part of a spiritual house that God is building. So we see this on one level in an individual way. But there's so much beautiful truth for us to see in the scriptures when we see that it's written to a people. God's new dwelling place is The church. The church where heaven and earth now meet is the church, the people of God. God is building his house. What is that? That is all believers everywhere. That should fill our hearts with joy, folks, because we are part of something which is so much bigger, so much bigger than ourselves. It isn't contained by space because it's global, cosmic in scale. It's not contained by time because it stretches down through time and all the way to the end of the ages. Cornerstone Church, Liverpool, we are part of this amazing reality. We are living stones on the living stone, making up God's house. God's here, folks. God is here. I Can ask you a question? Do we believe that? I, we ask that at gospel community sometimes because I think it's such an important question to ask. Do we believe that God is here? Thank you. <laughs> and I ask you, please, in your heart, in your head, right now, what difference would that make? If we truly believe that God is here. When we gather, he is here. Corporately, he's here. When we gather as gospel communities, he's here. He is with you everywhere that you go. So when we sing, we sing it in the presence of God. And yes, we're singing to him, but he's also singing with us, the Bible says, and he's also taking great joy over us. He's taking, this is lovely for me to hear because I'm not the best singer, but he takes joy in my singing. That is such a comfort. When we pray, he loves to hear the voices of his children. He loves it when his family are gathering together. He takes joy. God is not just here today, folks, but he is taking great joy in us here. Great joy. You are alive in Jesus Christ. Your life has eternal significance. If you don't believe that today, pray that God would help you to believe that. And your fellow brothers and sisters, the people here, they too are living stones. Let's pray that we would engage with each other in that way, as living stones, as born again believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as beloved children of the Father. Let's grasp and pray that we would grasp, because if God is here, This is his word. He will help us. Let's pray for more of that help that we will grasp the eternal significance of what is being said here and what it means to us right now. So, God's building project, planned from eternity past, powered by the future, is proclaimed in the present. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. Let me read these passages. Very, very familiar, but so beautiful in what they're saying. You, verse 9, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people. But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's almost like Peter's turning up the volume here and saying, this is who you are. This is who you are. This is who you are. Why is that important? Because that's how we live. That's how we function. That's how we have our being. That's how we get our desires and our motivation. That shapes everything. If you know who you are, that changes everything, folks. And I hope we see the communal corporate language here. So I think we're, con- we're culturally conditioned. We are in the world that we live in to think individually. We read our Bibles individually. We, we think about these things individually. But what is key here is the Bible is about unto a people. A people who are together before God. We are part of a new people. So let's hear this, not just individually, but corporately. We are a people who are chosen. Chosen by God in Christ. Not because of anything you've done. Not because of your intrinsic worth or value in comparison to others. Not because of your intellect or the strength of your faith. You're chosen by God purely through grace and goodness that is his. I pray this would stir your heart. I really do. You don't deserve this, folks. That's what this teaching and this doctrine should lead us to. Joy and wonder and thankfulness. We deserve condemnation, but we get goodness and grace. Life, joy, peace, forgiveness. We are a people chosen by God. We are part of a holy nation. That means we are distinct. This is language that was um, used for Israel in the Old Testament. A a people who were called to be a light to the nation. And now this is calling us the church. A holy nation. A group of people. A people who are called to show what it looks like to live in right relationship to God the creator. That's who we are. A people from every tribe, every tongue, all parts of the world, all walks of life together form this new holy nation. So when people look in, they are to see what it looks like for humanity to live rightly and joyfully with life and peace and freedom in relation to the Creator God. That's who we are. And we are a royal priesthood. Verse 5 tells us that we offer spiritual sacrifices in Christ. What is the spiritual sacrifice? It's our whole lives. Our whole lives. And it's all in Christ. Maybe you're sat there today thinking, well, my life doesn't really count. What I do doesn't really count. I'm not like this person or that person or this person. Each of us are unique. And each of us offer our sacrifices, our whole lives to God. In Christ, it is His work. It is His work. It is His finished work that actually purifies and makes that right. He takes our lives and presents them before the Father perfectly. What an incredible privilege to be priest of the living God! Just think about what I was saying before in light of what a priest is in the temple. So, what do we do as priests, a royal priesthood? What does that mean for us? It means that we care for that sacred space. We are the sacred space folks. Not this building as such, although it'd help if you you know, you did come along and sort out all the water that was leaking over there. We've got a lovely water feature at the moment, guys. If you're gonna come in when it's raining, it's nice. But we are responsible for the care of each other. That's what it means to care for that sacred space. Each other we pronounce blessings to each other. what does it mean to pronounce blessings to each other Well, we remind each other of the gospel truth we remind each other of what Jesus done we remind each other of how much the Father loves us we remind each other of forgiveness we remind each other that guilt is gone that shame is gone we remind each other of what happened in the past at the cross and resurrection we remind each other of, of God's presence with us now we remind each other of that glorious hope that is held out for us because of God's promises in the future we remind each other by pronouncing blessings to each other we speak the gospel to each other. Let me ask you: What truth do you need reminded of today? God is so gracious. It's another way that God has spoken to me so much over some difficult times in the past couple of years. He's done it through His people, and He's done it with people who have walked next to me, walked closely to me, given me verses of Scripture, reminding me of what God says in His Word. I ask you: What do you need to be reminded of today? Deep in your heart, ask God. Show me, tell me. What is the gospel truth that I need to be reminded of? And what a privilege to be able to build others up in Jesus Christ. Who are the people that God has called you to? Who are the people that God has put around you that you need to know more and love by declaring gospel truth to them, by walking next to them and pointing to Jesus? And we as priests, we represent God to people and people to God. So first of all, we we represent people to God. We intercede for people. So what that means is we go to God on behalf of others. Maybe others who are struggling. Maybe others who are, are without hope. Maybe others who are going through some really difficult times. And we plead to God. We pray to God. My question is to you now, who are you interceding for? Who are you praying for? Who has God laid on your heart? And let's not belittle this task. I think we see God's work as being all this, I want to go to this place and that place and do this work. What a privilege to be able to pray for God's people. What a privilege. Let's not discard that. This is an internally significant task that has been given to all of us by God. If this is not something that you do or are drawn towards, or even in the habit of doing, let me confess, that is something that I have to work on. I do, and I have to set rhythms and habits up to do it. So there'll be times, and some of you will receive a text from me, either it will be elders and, or, or the gospel communities. Are, I'll get a text, how can I pray for you today? That's me building up habits to try to remind myself to pray for others. And it's always a blessing because people will respond with what's on their heart. And a lot will say, okay, how can I pray for you? And then they're praying for me. <laughs> as well, and you get prayed for and return, and you get this plan. My question is, what does it look like to actually start that now, daily praying for others? Some of you are starting off in your faith. What a great place to start. Daily, hourly even, setting aside time every day to bring one person a day to our Heavenly Father. But we also represent God to people. Yes, to each other, but also we represent God to people outside the faith, the nations. That's what we see towards the end of verse nine. There a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We've been called from darkness to light. Let's reflect on that for a minute. You were in darkness. You were dead in your sins before God called you. I'm 45 now. I was 27 when I became a Christian. I was in such a dark place. I reflect on my time before then. I was in such a dark place. My life was spiraling quickly. But God in his marvelous grace, God my father called me, spoke into the darkness, called into the tomb. Paul, come out. Paul, come out. Come out to life. Come out to life. He rose me up to newness of life and shone the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for the first time in my life, I saw the beautiful face of the Lord Jesus Christ and everything changed. Everything changed. See, I deserved wrath and judgment and punishment. Don't think that I'm up here. I'm anything special. If you knew my life, you know I need the grace of God every single moment of my life. I deserve wrath and judgment with some of the things that I have done I just can't even look at. But Jesus took them upon himself. He took it upon himself. And instead of punishment, what do I receive? Mercy, compassion, Grace. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, folks, that's you too. What's your story? Let me ask you that question. What is your story? Maybe it's time to go back to basics, as it were. Just reflect, how were you saved? What has God done to you? What has God done through you? What have you been saved from? What have you been saved to? Have you forgotten who you were? Have you forgotten who you are now? So you've been chosen by God in Christ. You are precious to God. You're holy before God. You've been shown mercy by God. You have been brought into God's eternal plan. You experience forgiveness and love and acceptance. You've been given a family. You've been brought into God building project, his spiritual house. And this purpose that he's given you has eternal significance. To proclaim his excellencies. What does that mean? To live and to speak in such a way that your life praises God in all that it is. See, folks, we can't just live this way on a Sunday. And let me also stress, you can't do this alone. You cannot do this alone. You need God's people. Are you known by God's people? Do you know God's people? Be a part of this, people. This is another invitation. You will notice over the past couple of months, we have been banging the drum, banging the drum. If you're new here or not in a gospel community, please we'd like to invite you in and there are probably people who've been coming for five six seven years i like to keep mentioning this we're doing this for a reason folks and the very reason is that you will not grow in your faith you will not be safe in your faith unless you are a part of a people so please come in this is an invitation to be a part of the people here and let's be realistic as we seek to live this out you see the culture's changed from 20 30 years ago it has People don't have a collective Christian memory anymore. Most have no grid for the concept of sin, concept of guilt and punishment in light of God. Even the God of the Bible and Jesus Christ, they don't really have a concept or a grid for it. But people do want to belong. They do have a craving for family. People do have a a craving for purpose, a craving for affirmation, a craving for acceptance. Acceptance. They just can't find what their hearts are searching for because they find it in places where they just will not find it. But we have it. Together as God's family, God's spiritual house. A people of mercy. People who know who we are, where we're heading. We are a people of hope. We are a people of comfort, a people of assurance. We are a people who should feel like home when you're amongst us. We should do and we should display this in the way that we live, in a way which invites people in. And this proclaiming of the excellencies it also requires us, folks, to speak it. To speak it to those around us who, doesn't, who don't know God. How do we do this? How do we do this? What might this look like? And let me say, it's a lot more simple than we, than we make it. We do it in the way that God has made us. All of us here have been made uniquely by God. We make up a unique people. This church is different to every other church. There's a unique collection of people in this church for this unique place and this unique time that we are in. And all of us have unique lives through which we can reach the people around us for God. Yesterday, I was speaking to someone in my wife's family, um, like a sister-in-law, one of Bonnie's sisters-in-law. And I was asking how she became a Christian. She said she, she became a Christian through two friends. And one of the, uh, the friends she described was a lovely Christian lady, that's the word she used, lovely Christian lady. She said that she, she acted differently. You know, she didn't swear, didn't do all those things. She didn't talk about people. You know, she worked there, but she was a lot of fun. I love that part. She was a lot of fun. Christians were allowed to be a lot of fun. We are allowed to. In fact, we should be the most fun people because of the hope that we have. But this lady had also had two miscarriages. And it was so challenging the way that she processed these miscarriages because there was hope. How she spoke and lived through these miscarriages and through these difficulties pointed to the eternal significance of her life. Well, there was another lady as well she talked about. She said, this lady was a Scottish lady. And these are her words, not mine, so forgive me for this. She said, she was nuts. She was properly nuts. She was just all over the place. The kind of lady she worked with, she said, her desk was just a mess. But she used to leave scriptures all over the desk for the people she worked with. And the, the sister-in-law at this time, she was a little bit scared and fearful, anxious about the future. So she used to do things like check horoscopes to try to find something that she could hold on to. And eventually the scriptures that she was reading off the desk became much more important than these horoscopes. And then over the course of time, she was invited to a course at her church. You see how God used the lives of these two totally different ladies in totally different ways to reach this sister in Christ. Maybe God has made it simpler than what we think it is. What I'm saying here is, folks, be yourself. Be yourself. Live your life as a Christian. Live your life as a Christian. That is challenging to me. Be the Christian in the room that you are. Don't be like everybody else. Be who God made you to be. Be in the place that God has put you. You are the person, you are the representative, the ambassador for Christ in that place. You are uniquely placed to witness to God where you are. Each of you is uniquely placed. Think of the people we could reach if every single one of us thought this way. And invite people, invite people, invite people. Folks, I speak to myself here. I really do. Let's open the doors of this spiritual house so the world, world can see the wonderful grace of God that we have received. Let's repent of the reasons that we, we don't proclaim. We don't invite. And let me speak from personal experience. It could be fear of fear of how we look, fear of rejection, fear of difficulty or a tense conversation. It could be because of career reasons or, or settling into a family that don't know Jesus. Let's repent of those things and let's pray for boldness. Just look around. There's plenty of room here. God in his grace has given us this church. He's given us this church. Folks, today there's a load of you here. But it's half full. Imagine if we could fill this place. Imagine if we could fill this place by inviting our friends, our family, our neighbors, our work colleagues, our sports colleagues, the people we hang around with, the people we're in touch with. We invite them to hear the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these seats are filled up with people who don't, know yet, who don't yet know the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we pray for that, folks? Can we pray for that this week in gospel community? We've just come off the back of these two years. See, on one level, let's make a fresh start. Let's think again and let's just see these words. Let's hear these words and hear the calling as a people to reach the places where we are, the people where we are with the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you struggle in this area, then what? I just love the start of this passage. Verse four, as you come to him, as you come to him, as you come to him, Come to Jesus, the one who has done it, the one who provides, the one who loves you. Ask for help. So we're gonna take communion now. And I pray that this wouldn't just be a stop start. Okay, now it's time for communion. Let me just think purely and simply about sin and forgiveness. That is right to think of. But what I wanna do is I want you to, to remember, let what God has laid on your heart be resonating around your mind. As you hold and taste and see that the Lord is good. As we remember that the cornerstone has come. So your guilt is gone. Your shame is covered. And we get to taste and be reminded of that each and every week. The Bible says that this is for believers. But those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what I would ask folks, if you're not a believer, please we please be ask that you wouldn't take this. This is for Christians. The Bible says that this is not for you. But please know that you're welcome among us as we tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. Please know that you're welcome here. Please know that you are welcome amongst our smaller families, our gospel communities to live it out through the week. Because we just want you to know the goodness of grace of God that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Cornerstone Church Liverpool, those who believe here today. We're going to do this in two stages. So what we want to do, that is obviously you've done this for the past two weeks, but let me remind you, in the front, in the back of your seats, that are these little jars. We did order them and buy them. We did just robbed them from loads of hotels, just to clarify. And in these jars, there is bread and wine. Okay, I just want you for now to, to take this bread. And what I want you to do is you hold this bread. I want you to do a few things. If God has laid something on your heart today that you think you need to repent of, now's the time. Repent. Whatever it is that God by his spirit has laid on your heart, repent and ask for help. Ask for helping your walk and proclaiming and living this out and loving people, whatever it is that God has laid on your heart. And then pray for people. Pray for the people in this room that you know, the people that even might not be here. Intercede for others. Let's have a period of time as we hold and taste and see that the Lord is good, that in light of what Jesus has done for us, that we would go to our Father through the Son and pray on behalf of other people. So pray for people, pray them by name. If you want to pray with people for a couple of minutes, that is fine. And folks, can I just say, I know it can be awkward sometimes if you're not someone who is a believer or has been in a church before and you hear people praying, that can be awkward. I just encourage you, you don't have to pray with us, don't feel the pressure. But listen, what we're doing here is we're talking to our Father. Brothers and sisters, talking to our Father together. So pray together. Tom in a second will just be playing some guitar strings, as it were. And he'll be playing that. Take the time. Intercede. Pray for people. Give thanks. In a couple of minutes, I'm going to lead us through our next bit, which we'll be drinking the wine together in celebration. So let's do that together. Take the jar and the bread and let's pray.